I know so many people like, oh, my parents divorced and my parents were divorced. I felt very alone um, during that time and, yeah, incredibly, incredibly alone. It's important that we can acknowledge the way the family is supposed to be so that they can try to recreate that when they have their own families. And it's also important just so they can get more of a realistic view of what was going on during their childhood and take a look at it as an adult and realize, for the most part, parents are doing the best they can, but things are not okay for the, for the children. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today's episode is the first of two for adult children of divorce. This is kind of an emerging population because divorce really hit its height in the U.S. in the 1980s. So my generation was kind of the hardest hit. And the effects of divorce, as you'll hear on today's episode, are on a long fuse. They don't blow up right away. I often say it's like you're living your life missing an arm and you don't know it. Things are harder for you, you know, and you don't think that, oh, well, maybe there's a reason for that. You just think you're faulty and something's wrong with you. And so you go through life that way. And then all of a sudden you might realize, oh, that's why this was hard for me. And this was hard. And getting married or having children was extra hard for me because I had this wound that I didn't even realize I had. This is Beth Stree. My name is Beth Stree. I have been married for almost 20 years, and we have eight children and one in heaven. Beth's husband, Ted, is fairly well-known in the Catholic world. He's written a bunch of books, helped to start Focus with Curtis Martin, and speaks to thousands of people about Catholic stuff. He knew about my podcast and that I had an episode planned on this topic and suggested his wife for it. We found a time on a weekend to chat. Beth had been chugging away, taking care of her family, and really making it work until after the birth of her eighth child, at which point she says she kind of fell apart. All of a sudden I realized I was trying to give my children something I never received. It was just really overwhelming. Just think that through and really provide that and realize, whoa, I, I, I don't know what this looks like. I want to do this. I want to do what's best. I want to give them my all, but I don't know what that looks like in a stable two-parent family where the children stay under that roof with their parents you know, 100% of the time. And her friend, being a good friend, said, you know what, Beth, you need to go to counseling because I think you have some wounds from your parents' divorce that you just haven't dealt with. I think a lot of times parents who are divorcing are understandably preoccupied with their own troubles and their own pain because it's so hard on them. I'm not denying that at all. But the children, when the parents are preoccupied, they don't have anywhere else to go. And so they have to come up with new coping mechanisms and new ways of seeing things and new ways to get through that I think children from intact families just take for granted because their parents are available by and large and their parents do see them and do know and are more attuned to it. They don't have the burden of just be okay. I need you to just be okay right now. I wondered what it was like to deal with all of this old stuff as a mom with lots of people to take care of. A part of me was kind of irritated that this was happening now. My oldest is 18. She goes to college in August, you know. So part of me was like, really, Lord, you want me to do this now when I have teenagers and babies and everyone in between 
and you want me to kind of come undone right now? Um, why couldn't I have done this when my, my oldest was five, you know? Or why couldn't I have done this when at least half of them were out of the house? But honestly, it has been such a gift to have this happen right now because kids can see that mommy is being healed. Before the interview, Beth sent me a piece that she wrote about her experience of her parents' divorce. I'll post it in the show notes. She was four years old when her dad moved out of the house. It was strange. Um, My dad seemed really sad about something, and that was a new experience for me. I hadn't, I don't remember ever seeing my dad's dad before. You know, my dad was always this pillar of strength. And I remember there being a stack of cardboard boxes and not really understanding what was going on, but I knew dad was sad and I needed to do something. And so, you know, my little four-year-old self, um, I remember drawing him a picture. I knew he was going somewhere. He wouldn't have these stacks of boxes if he didn't, but I wanted to give him something of me and I wanted to give him something to, to make, make him feel better. I remember feeling that intensely, even as a small child. But Beth couldn't make it better. Nothing would ever be the same. You really have to grow up quickly when your parents split up because all of a sudden um, your world shifts and what was taken for granted all of a sudden may or may not be there. In Beth's case, this was particularly dramatic because of the custody arrangement. Remember, it's the 1980s. I'm confident that there is no court in the country today that would approve a custody arrangement like the one that Beth and her brother went through. The way that my custody arrangement was worked out was roughly um, every other day, every other weekend, my brother and I would go back and forth. And so we were constantly on the move. This was possible because Beth's parents stayed in the same town, the same community, even the same parish. And I remember always having to think through and think ahead okay, I was invited to this birthday party and that falls on this weekend, so I need to make sure I talk to this parent next time I see them and see if that's going to be okay or I want to have my friend over or the school assignments due or I need to work on it at this place where there's the computer because it has to be typed or I wanted it to be typed to get a better grade and I would stay up and do it, but then I would know that, okay, well, we have to go back to this house at this time and I got to do these other things at this other house. So, you know, can we please get moving so we can get there so I can get these things done so that I can get to bed at a decent hour without offending that parent and and knowing, you know, it just, oh. I'm exhausted just hearing you explain that. (laughs) It was exhausting, but I didn't, I didn't know anything different, you know? So, I mean, I knew it was a drag and I knew it was hard, but I also knew that, compared to some of my peers with divorced parents, that my parents were both involved in my life intensely on a weekly basis. I'm grateful for that, but it did, it did come at a cost. Part of that cost for Beth was something that I have to admit I never thought of as a privilege. I remember when I moved into my dorm room in college, and I finally had all my shoes and all my clothes in one closet. That was major for me. I had never had that before. I just want us to stop a moment on that. Maybe it's just that I'm shallow. I really don't think I am. But as a preteen and a teenage girl, a pretty large part of your brain is given over to really important questions like, what sweater am I going to wear 
to Lucy's party. It just is. It's part of development, okay? For school dances, for example, it was normal to get ready at one person's house and try on all of their stuff before settling on the dress that you already brought from home. Beth didn't have that luxury. It's such a small thing, right? But it's a daily thing. When you're a kid and your parents divorce or have been divorced, you're kind of in the survival mode for most of your childhood. I mean, I know that that may sound harsh, but for me and, and my brother, it was a constant stage of transition. So sometimes even just being in my house for too long, I almost crave a transition just to kind of shift around and move. It's a weird dynamic. Beth is really grateful that she had her younger brother. We were always together and we had a lot of inside jokes and we still do. And we'll still text each other, you know, whenever we think of them or see them. And, and it's like an instant bond and an instant laugh. And I do just, I really love him to pieces and I'm so grateful that I had him and I didn't have to do it on my own. And she's also thankful for her husband, whom she's been married to for over 20 years. Just knowing that Ted was kind of a rock in terms of trying to grow in virtue and having a rich spiritual life. I didn't ever doubt him. We're going to come back to that because for adult children of divorce, well, for all of us, relationships are complicated. For today's episode, we're going to hear the basic stories of three people. And then in the second episode, we'll come back to specific challenges that they face. And before we get too far into this episode, I just want to emphasize that all of these witnesses love their parents. Nothing they say here about the suffering that they've gone through negates that fact. They also know that their parents love them and that they were probably doing the best they could. So here's Dan Miola. Hi, my name is Dan Miola. I'm an adult child of divorce. I also have a PhD in theology from the John Paul II Institute for Studies of Marriage and Family. While studying at the Institute, I had the privilege of helping faculty create uh, Recovering Origins, which is a healing ministry for adult children of divorce. And then I formed a traveling retreat team to spread it across the nation. And I'm happily married to my lovely wife, Bethany, for almost eight years. And we have a beautiful daughter, Zelly. You've actually met Dan's wife, Bethany, before because she was on the episode about adoption. My parents separated right before sixth grade when I was 11. And then the separation lasted for 15 years, and it wasn't actually until graduate school. Actually, the year I got married, in 2011, when they formally divorced. So it was a 15-year separation, and then the divorce. But the whole time was like one long divorce, (laughs) because there wasn't much communication between them. Dan found out about the separation in a pretty traumatic way. I actually discovered the letter that my dad left for my mom. I got home early for school and still stay. I sort of regret I did this, but I looked at the letter and I was the one that called my mom saying, dad left you a letter that um, he's going to separate from you. What what is, you know, what does all this mean? And uh, that's how I found out. Dan's mom told him to put the letter away. She was worried that Dan's dad would come home and see that Dan had read it and get angry. My dad struggled with anger problems. There was a lot of high conflict. That was part of the reason separation occurred in the first place. There's other complicating factors as well. Dan's mom talked with him later and tried to put the separation in a positive light. 
Like, this would be good for all of them and help the parents to work things out. I was devastated. Dan's brothers are much older, so he was the only one at home at the time. Kids realize in the aftermath of separation and divorce that um, their family's in survival mode. So the last thing you do is really look at your feelings and try to process it. You're trying to take care of everybody else. So that's another reason why you're silent about it, because you're trying to take care of everybody else. And in this case, it was my mom, but also my dad. You end up becoming their emotional confidant. and They don't necessarily intend that, but that's what happens. They vent their problems about the other to you. Or, you know, now all of a sudden they don't have their husband or wife to emotionally deal with the problems and stressors of daily life. So they turn to you. And as a kid, you don't know what's going on. Like, you know, now in retrospect, you see that you're being triangulated and uh, in an unhealthy way. Dan says this kind of thing comes up a lot in discussions with other adult children of divorce. What a parent-child relationship should be like. I would say this is one of the tragedies of divorce because it completely inverts the child-parent relation. Whereas an intact home or the way parenting should be working is the parent is helping the kid with their emotional life and it's flipped. Uh, This is also why a lot of adult children divorce feel like they lost their childhood. It wasn't because they didn't play or they didn't have activities at school. They did have that, but it's because they felt like they had to take care of everybody and nobody was looking out for them. Because Dan felt like he had no one to talk to, it was a lonely time. There was a lot of people who would complain and drink in high school about their parents, and I was one of them. But it wasn't really talking deeply about it, and it wasn't constructive, and it definitely was not healing. Um, it's sort of like the social media dumps you see with celebrities. It's not helpful for anybody. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there were people who complained, but you didn't feel somebody was there helping you, caring for you, grieving with you. So you felt very alone. And family members don't tend to ask kids how they're really doing about the divorce. And surprisingly, I don't remember at this time anybody really reaching out to me. And it seemed like, again, children can pick up on this. The divorce affects not just your immediate family, but your whole extended family. They, they pick sides. And um, you don't want to talk with them because uh, a lot of times they're, they're trying to justify why one of your parents did this or that. And... The last thing is, is a lot about your feelings. Dan calls this the wound of silence. The wound of silence, what I call the wound of silence, can be because of a lot of happy divorce talk in society. And there's a lot of justification that, you know, divorce is just another stage in a person's journey. People just grew apart. So, you know, they're better off not married. And there's strangers living in the house. So there's a lot of happy divorce talk. And that can minimize the pain of adult children divorce. He says that people often point to extremes like domestic abuse, but the majority of divorces aren't those. They are low conflict marriages. I mean, the other thing is just, I think because the ubiquity of the problem that it doesn't count as real suffering because so many other people go around it. And so then they use happy resilience talk. Oh, the children are resilient, which is typically means, Oh, they can, recover very quickly, which is hugely problematic. I mean, there's some truth to what they're trying to get at is that, you know, yes, adult children divorced can go on and have happy lives and um, they can stay married and things like this, but it's anything but quick. Yeah, it's actually amazing what the human spirit can survive, but that doesn't mean that we should act like it's all okay. Remember what I said about the long fuse? Because it's often in young adulthood, 
after um, they've had many years to sort of thaw out from the trauma of divorce, that they can begin to, you know, step back and reflect upon it. And that's when it often hits them. Research shows this Elizabeth Marquat's book, Between Two Worlds, says it's often young adulthood that these questions begin to rear their heads. There's a common belief that if the parents are doing well after a divorce, the children will also be doing well. They almost have to say that they're happy about it, even if they're not. But they learn to say that. And it's not uncommon for them to either be silenced by their family, told, you, you know, I'm starting to think you think this, so I'm going to redirect that narrative and make sure that the child is saying it like this. And that happens kind of subtly, but a lot of the people in the groups talk about how that was, it was very clear they needed to be happy with the situation, even if they weren't. This is our last witness story. My name is Leanne Abel, and I'm currently administering the secret Facebook groups for the adult children of divorce. Those groups originated with the publication of Primal Loss, the now adult children of divorce speak by Layla Miller. It's a compilation of responses to questions from a lot of different people. And my husband and I live in the Phoenix area. We have six grown children, a son-in-law, and a grandson. Leanne's family situation is pretty complicated. My parents were both married three times. So I gained and lost step-siblings and step-grandparents. We did a lot of moving to accommodate new relationships. Um, and, of course, you know, you lose friends, you lose people that were associated with certain parts of your family when there's a divorce. You lose those parts. So that was very difficult. I didn't really even think about any of this until Layla, who is a personal friend of mine, started asking about, well, tell me about your, you know, why don't you fill this question out? Tell me about your parents' divorce. And it took a very long time to be able to really realize what had gone on. And um, you just get to be someone who just powers through life. You take things as they come, and you don't really think about it. And you get pretty tough. Often we focus on the loss of a parent, but particularly when you get into step-parent categories, you also gain or lose siblings and grandparents and aunts and uncles. So say you have a stepbrother for a few years, and then that marriage breaks up. Suddenly, you have no relation whatsoever to that person who used to be part of your family. That is so confusing. The reason the church could really function to help is that the church has teachings that have to do with family and, and what are healthy families like and what is the purpose of the family? What, what is the purpose of marriage? You know, what is the, um, the role of the parents and the permanent vows that people take and why those are there? So that kind of a discussion is helpful. Unlike the world, Catholics can straight up say that family situation is messed up. It doesn't mean that you have permission not to love those people, but it does validate your pain or confusion. I would think of it this way. Everyone in life has problems with anxiety, perhaps feelings of abandonment. You know, all the, all of the difficulties of life are there. They're just much harder if you don't stand on a firm foundation. So why suffer <laughs> more than you have to? Uh, why not take a look at how a lot of that can be magnified or it could even have been caused through the family falling apart? Leanne was not a young adult. She'd been married for 25 years, and this was the first time she really faced how she felt about her childhood. That wasn't really something that was allowed to be talked about. Definitely not in the family. I did know that I had certain things I could say in certain places and other things that I couldn't say in other places. And, you know, I mean, I, I had recognized, I knew the rules, 
Um, but I had not at all processed any of it. So I think that the discussion with other contributors to the book is where the catalyst for me really was. When you think about it, it's kind of crazy if kids aren't encouraged to talk about a loss like this. So we can easily say that if someone's parent dies, we say, oh my gosh, this is terrible. This is a tragedy. And we feel so bad for that child. But if one parent moves out and starts a new family and prioritizes that family over the child, how is that going to hurt any less? And yet, we don't let them talk about that. So we need to stop silencing people and we need to apologize to them and say, I'm really sorry that this happened. I've said that to people and I'm not their parent. I just say, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that because you didn't deserve that because you should have had an intact family to grow up in and have that stability. And with the phenomenon of the gray divorce, there are people going to the Facebook groups that Leanne runs whose parents split up after they were all grown up. For those people who did not know there was a problem in their parents' marriage, it's like a piano falling from the sky and hitting them. (laughs) This could literally happen to anyone. You think everything's fine, and it's not. So it makes them really distrustful and, and concerned that they could do something that would end their own marriage. It's a fear that's in the back of their mind. Some of them are angry with their parents because it could be something that's going on in their parents' lives currently that makes them discontent, and they know that they, are, they have a good marriage, that it's been going for many years, and, and things have been fine. Not perfect, but you know, family life is perfect. So they are upset with their parents for not trying harder to get over what seems to be just kind of a bump in the road, even though it could be a big one. They realize that marriage is a permanent vow and things aren't going to be perfect. And so they're trying very hard in their own marriages, and they would like to see that from their parents. Because no matter how old you are when your parents split up... Where's your home when you go home? There's not a home anymore. You're not bringing your children, who are their grandchildren, to a place that will teach them what long-term marriage is like. This happens all the time. Why is grandma not living with grandpa anymore? How do you explain that? when what you want to show your children is that marriage is a permanent vow. And that's very difficult to do because you don't want to speak poorly of your parents because those are children's grandparents. So it gets to be very hurtful for everyone involved and very dicey as far as how do you explain things to the children. Okay, we're going to take a break here. The next episode will continue with Beth, Dan, and Leanne sharing more specifically about the challenges that adult children of divorce face from perfectionism to shame and conflict avoidance, and what the church can do to help. Stay tuned. It was the 80s where I went to Catholic school and I would hear God loves me, Jesus loves you, you know, blah, 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 right? And also, as a special treat, here's what I sound like sometimes when I'm recording. (laughs) If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.